When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. On this episode of Newt's World, like the Kennedys before them, the Bidens are a tight-knit, idealistic Irish Catholic clan with good looks, dynastic ambitions, and serious personal problems. As the book The Bidens reveals, the best way to understand Joe Biden, his values, fears, and motives, is to understand his family, their Irish and not-so-Irish roots, their place in the Delaware pecking order, their dodgy business deals, and their personal struggles and triumphs alike. Here to talk about his book, The Bidens, Inside the First Family's 50-Year Rise to Power, I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, Ben Schreckinger. He is a national political correspondent at Politico. Before that, he served as GQ's Washington correspondent and covered the rise of Donald Trump as a campaign reporter for Politico. Ben, welcome and thank you for joining me on Newt's World. Thank you so much for having me. This is really an amazingly timely book and deserves a great deal of national attention. But I'm curious, in your own background, I mean, you've got a good, solid background as a journalist. How did you end up becoming a national political correspondent at Politico? That's a great question. I was on my campus newspaper at Brown University. I did a fellowship at the Atlantic Media Company out of school. Did some freelancing after that, and like many people who dabble in journalism, was planning to go to law school when a job offer to come down and work for Politico covering the presidential campaign, the 2016 cycle, materialized, and I moved down and did that instead. And actually, I was probably the first person covering Donald Trump full-time anywhere back in the summer of 2015, so I had a front row seat to some history there and learned a lot along the way. Weren't you surprised at being so lonely? <laughs> I mean, by the summer of 16, he's already a presidential nominee. Yeah, it took a long time for the reality of the Trump candidacy to set in for people. I think for a lot of people, it was very surreal, and there was a delayed recognition that he was a viable candidate. So here you are, you covered Trump, 
And now you turn to the Bidens. What interested you in writing the Bidens? I had started out in the summer of 2019, you know, early presidential primary time, deciding to take a look at Hunter Biden. It had been reported that then President Trump's allies were looking to make hay out of Hunter Biden's business dealings. You know, troubles with his personal life had been in the news. I started out with the idea of maybe doing a profile of Hunter Biden. Pretty soon into the reporting, it became clear that it would be less about Hunter Biden's life, per se, and more about business dealings of his and of his uncle, Jim Biden, one of President Biden's younger brothers, and did a long story about that that came out probably in August or September of 2019 called Biden Inc. And I really thought that that would be the last time I wrote on the subject of the business dealings of Biden's relatives. But between the time I had started doing that reporting and the time I'd published, there had actually been another lawsuit filed against James Biden, Jimmy Biden, down in Tennessee, accusing him of invoking his brother's name and business dealings and that sort of stuff. And through to Election Day 2020, there was just sort of a steady trickle of news on this topic. And I struggled a little bit to reconcile what I was reporting in terms of allegations being made in lawsuits, what I was hearing from people who had done business with them. And the more folksy image I had had of Joe Biden and his family as someone who was just a news consumer during the Obama administration when Vice President Biden had a sort of an aw shucks, you know, Uncle Joe kind of image. And I wanted to have a more complete understanding of him and his family and how these two things sort of fit together. And that's sort of the genesis of the book. I'm fascinated because you start looking at the Bidens. And in fact, I didn't realize this, but you discovered that Joe Biden was not originally a Democrat, that he was sort of just a guy trying to figure out how to rise. And he was tempted, at least briefly, to be a Republican. That's right. And I think that's sort of in many ways consistent with his political career. He's someone who got along all right with other Republicans in Congress. You know, it was a different era in the early 70s when he got to the Senate, got along well with Southern Democrats who were often very conservative. So yeah, he is very much a Democratic Party figure who is often, I think, you know, in polling, he sometimes polls right around where a generic Democrat polls. But there's an alternate history, I guess, in which he could have joined the Republican Party. It seems to me he sort of reinvents himself three or four times. I mean, early on, he's very comfortable with Jesse Helms. He's very comfortable with Southern Democrats. Then gradually he becomes more and more liberal, and that has other kind of implications. But in many ways, he's a person continuously in transition for a very long time. Yeah, that's right. Often his positions are moving with the sort of weight of where the Democratic Party is at a given time. And when you do that for 40 or 50 years, you can end up in different places at different times that sort of look pretty contradictory. And that could certainly be used as a criticism of someone who spends their career in politics, that they're going to have changing positions. I think it's also interesting that beyond just sort of the ways in which he stakes out positions, he's very anti-busing when that is a hot issue in the 70s and 80s, obviously running for president in 2020, needing the support of black voters, being a very crucial demographic for him. That's not the sort of positioning he staked out in recent years. Even more radical to me in some ways is the fact that early in his career, he's viewed as 
a very gifted orator, a very slick speaker. But the question that gets raised is, but can we trust this guy? Is he too ambitious? Because he runs for president in his 40s in 1988. He's very young by political standards, ambitious. And now the image of Joe Biden is sort of the opposite. It's not that this is a charismatic gifted speaker. It's that this is somebody who is a gaffe machine who can trip over his tongue, but has this trusted, esteemed position within the Democratic establishment where he is viewed in that coalition as the solid old workhorse. So he's really had a full arc in terms of how he's publicly perceived and in many cases in terms of the political positions that he stakes out. One of the fascinating things you emphasize in your book, that from the very beginning, his running for the Senate was a family operation. That's right. And one of the more telling, intriguing anecdotes that stuck with me from coverage of that campaign, and I think it was from maybe like an Esquire magazine story written years later, was that when this campaign started to have some legs, when it got big enough and well-funded enough to not just be purely a family operation, they started vetting professional political consultants to help them. And there was at least one consultant whose advice was, you need to get your family out of your political pamphlets. That's not the image we want. And that consultant was not hired because Joe Biden and his relatives realized that the family sort of was the message. It was, here's this family man. In a sense, the fact that they also do business deals, that they're this intimate, it's just an extension of who they've always been. I mean, they really are a single extended family. Yes. You could say of most people that they are very close with their family, but that isn't the first thing that most people would say about most other people. When you go around and interview people who have known Joe Biden over the years, that really is one of the first couple of things that often people say that strikes them about him is how close he is with his family, how tight-knit they are, how much he likes to help them. Obviously, if you are a supporter of Joe Biden, you say, look, yeah, a lot of people fake being a family man. A lot of political figures have a family-forward public image that isn't real. Joe Biden's case, it's very real. The problem with that is when his relatives also go around and in their business dealings leave a trail of allegations that they're invoking their closeness with Joe Biden as a political benefit, as something that could get people contracts, politically connected business interests, for example. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. 
But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. In a sense... He and the family have done pretty well. They won a Senate seat. Things are going well. And then, starting in 1988, it all just kind of falls apart. I mean, he runs for president, makes a fairly significant mistake, which Mike Dukakis cleverly exploits to the limit. And, and it's really a weird mistake because he's literally quoting from a speech by Neil Kinnock about a Welsh coal mining family. And it's a little hard to believe that Biden didn't sort of have some instinct that this just didn't fit, although his wife later said she thought it was unfair because somebody had written a speech and, you know, it wasn't really his fault. But what's your take on that? I mean, that is such a dumb thing to have done. It's really one of those classic examples of somebody who isn't paying attention. I think whether that was perceived as a stupid mistake or a sign of some deeper intent to deceive often depends on the beholder. And at the time, this was really the nail in the coffin of his campaign and that there was a perception that there were character flaws, that he had overstated his academic credentials. It came out sometime around this period that he had had a plagiarism issue in law school. He has said that he was essentially queered of having any intention to deceive, but it was at least a very sloppy mistake in law school that came back to haunt him. And sort of played into this early perception of him as being young and ambitious and this question of, is this someone that we can trust? And then over time, you know, later on, he continues to make gaffes, but it's perceived more as stupid mistakes. It is sort of interesting to look at whether that issue with the Kinnick speech was about being sloppy or about some will to deceive. And as you mentioned, one of the things that I find most telling about this whole thing is that decades later, his wife is insisting that her husband did nothing wrong and that this was someone else's fault. Whereas Joe Biden himself has conceded that he screwed it up, that this was his fault. But I think that it is very difficult for one member of the Biden family to concede that another member of the Biden family has ever done anything wrong, especially publicly. And that this is something that has repeated in recent years, especially with Hunter Biden. The ferocity with which he defends the family, you cite the fact that, that the Obama staff in vetting him for vice president raised a question about the family, and he just grew angry and said, keep my family out of this. 
which in a way, if you're talking about the vice presidency of the United States, is a little bit of a strange comment. Yeah. And that is something that repeats later. There's, and I believe that was from a New York Times story. But there's also reporting in The New Yorker that this repeats later when Hunter Biden's dealings with Burisma are raising issues during the Obama years. And it's a sensitive issue within the State Department. They're trying to figure out how to deal with it. This is in the wake of Joe Biden's death. And there's a comment in a New Yorker article from a Biden aide who says that they just couldn't bring themselves to raise this with him. And so clearly, his personal sensitivity around his family members creates a sort of no-go zone for scrutiny within his own circle and creates what looks like a blind spot. I mean, at one level, it's understandable as a human function, protecting your children and your brothers. But on the other hand, you point out that when he enters the vice presidency, he is significantly in debt. His salary is not going to get him out of that. And yet he today owns three houses and seems to have done remarkably well. As far as what we know in terms of his finances, he's written books. He's done what many political figures have done when they leave office. In this case, it was between offices in terms of speaking deals and the like. So he was on a government salary for his entire adult life, but always has spoken of a desire to be prosperous and spoken quite explicitly about a desire for his children to grow rich. And in some cases, especially when it comes to things that Hunter was doing to make money during the Obama years, that has come back to bite them. From that perspective, is it your sense that President Biden knew what Hunter was doing or that he was just deliberately ignorant? I don't know what Joe Biden did or didn't know or when he knew it about about what Hunter Biden is doing in his business dealings. We have little snippets here and there. We have this reporting, I think, again, from The New Yorker that when Hunter took on the Spurisma gig, his father said to him something like, I hope you know what you're doing. We have Joe Biden's statement made on the campaign trail that I think, again, it's a very absolute statement. He says something like, I've never discussed my relatives' business dealings with them or anyone else ever. That's a very blanket statement for somebody who's extremely close with his family. Tony Bobulinski has come out and said that's not true, at least in general terms. I discussed some dealings with Joe Biden that his brother and his son were pursuing in 2017 with some people associated with a Chinese energy company, CEFC. But in terms of the full extent, if it's anything beyond those things, we just don't know. Why do you think Bobolinsky's had such a hard time getting taken seriously? I think a lot of it has to do with the context. He came out two weeks before presidential election. It was just after this New York Post reporting had come out that some former members of the intelligence community had said looked like Russian disinformation. There were other reports that had been floating around that the Russians would try to do something involving Hunter Biden and Burisma before the election. And this was something that was happening to the benefit of Donald Trump. Donald Trump, for many years, his closest political advisor was Roger Stone. He's very much associated with Dirty Tricks. And so I think 
at least one reason why Bob Walensky had a hard time getting a full hearing was because there was sort of distrust about someone coming forward on this subject at this time. I can also say that I reached out to Bob Walensky during the campaign, you know, just when he was going public after the campaign and wasn't able to get him to just sit down and go over this all with me in person. He said, you know, look, I've made my statement. It's out there. Why won't you cover it? But as a reporter, I wanted to sit down and ask him questions and get every little detail that I could to try to size up what he was saying. Hmm. So the Hunter Biden laptop is one story and Hunter's dealings is one story. But what struck me was you also have the brothers. It's not just a Hunter story, although that's where the spotlight has been. So the brothers also have done very well off of President Biden, haven't they? Well, in terms of financially, it's hard to get dollar figures. But what I can say for sure is that again and again and again over the decades, they pursue business opportunities or get loans in which the other parties are donors to their brother or political allies of their brother. And that it's sort of remarkable the number of different times this has happened and across five decades now. And I think that Jim Biden, especially, who is the middle Biden brother of the three brothers in the family, is someone who takes Hunter under his wing when Hunter is younger, sort of mentors him in business. And I think for understanding what Hunter does in business, you have to understand what his uncle Jimmy was doing before him. And in many cases with him, you know, these dealings with CEFC, for example, are very much both Jim and Hunter. There's a hedge fund that they own together when Joe Biden is chairman of Senate Foreign Relations, for example. So, yeah, the brothers are an important part of the story. You have a FBI wiretap as early as 2007, picking up references to impending meetings with Biden and with the Senate bill and things going on. So that, I mean, the FBI was already interested in what was happening. Yeah, and I should be clear that, that that is sort of a snippet of conversation. It's not really clear what it refers to. The people on the call and the Bidens have said that's not really referring to anything substantive. So it's not clear in that case how interested the FBI was in members of the Biden family. But if you look at what that's taken from, what's the context of that wiretap, it is political allies of the Bidens and business partners of the Bidens who go down for bribing a judge. And these are people who are showing up at campaign events, hosted a fundraiser for Joe Biden's 2008 presidential bid, which didn't really make it even into the year 2008. And we're planning to go into business doing a sort of lobbying and public affairs shop with Jim Biden. And so then just the sheer number of business partners of Biden family members who end up in jail on corruption or fraud charges is quite large. It's not just a couple. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. 
The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you look at all this, you end up with Hunter getting contracts for which he has zero experience. I'd like to get an occasional million dollars just because I know important people. And you end up with Joe basically taking him with him to China, for example, on Air Force Two, while claiming that there's no real connection. I mean, doesn't the whole thing, at least on the surface, have an overwhelming sense of influence peddling? Yes, I think that if you look holistically five decades, it's queer that there is a willingness, a desire to at least trade on the name, go to people who have an interest in being in Joe Biden's good graces and pitch them on doing business. And in some cases, just registering as a lobbyist and working as a lobbyist. And if influence peddling is just another name for lobbying, which it may be, Hunter Biden has been a registered lobbyist. Frank Biden has been a registered lobbyist. Missy Owens, who is Joe Biden's niece and Valerie Biden's daughter, has registered as a lobbyist in the past. So yes, government affairs, part of the family business, and it can't be missed that these people are relatives of a high-ranking officeholder. From the research you've done, you don't have any proof that there was a direct quid pro quo or a direct engagement of the president. I have not seen evidence of that. So in that context, why is Hunter's laptop such a bombshell? In some ways, the contents of the laptop, what we've learned from them thus far, aren't really what makes it explosive, or at least not in isolation. It's become this massive flashpoint in our politics that's sort of about more than just the contents of the laptop and what Hunter Biden was or wasn't doing, but has become, in many ways, something that encompasses questions about big tech companies, big tech platforms, and the power that they should have, and whether certain media outlets show preference to one party or one candidate or the other. And it's become wrapped up in all of that. What I've seen from the laptop so far, none of it has really blown my mind 
because it's largely just been consistent with or an extension of things I've seen elsewhere in my reporting. I think for most people, they weren't digging through lawsuits related to Paradigm, this hedge fund that Jimmy and Hunter Biden had operated you know, 15 years ago now, and other similar episodes. And so something about dealings with the Chinese, with a Chinese energy company, and that sort of thing, meetings with politically connected or state-backed firms around the world, that was coming more out of left field for a lot of people who weren't just aware that this was the sort of stuff Hunter Biden had been doing for many years and that James Biden had been doing for many years. I find it to be a rich trove of information that shows how someone who is very politically connected is doing business, was doing business, trying to do business. But beyond that, I think sort of the ultimate significance of some of the documents in it isn't yet clear. Mm -hmm. Did you spend much time looking at the Penn Biden Center and the Delaware Biden Center? I didn't. And I regret that because I've seen that there's been good reporting on it. And I do think that the alliance between political figures and institutions of higher education is a very interesting one to look at. And that in Joe Biden's case, it would have been a very interesting case study, but it never ended up being a big focus of the reporting I've done. I've recently spent a bit of time digging into this, and it looks like the University of Pennsylvania may have gotten as much as $67 million from the Chinese Communist. And we don't know anything about the University of Delaware because they actually exempted themselves from the Freedom of Information Act law in Delaware. So they did not have to respond to any FOIA request. So we don't have any idea where the money came from or how it's been spent. It also turned out that I think 10 of the figures in the Biden administration actually were on the payroll at the Penn-Biden Center. It was a nice holding tank to take care of the team in between offices. And I think that will grow into a major kind of problem. What do you think Biden does? You've studied him now a long time. You have a good sense for him. Is there any reason for him not to run? He's very old, and Republicans now control the House of Representatives and have made very clear that investigating him, investigating his son, are top priorities. So I could imagine somebody saying that they don't want to go through another presidential run. He has said, relatives have said, that these elections are personally trying for members of his family. That being said, he's spent almost his entire adult life in federal office. And so really finally hanging it in may be something that he's not ready to do, even at his age. It seems to me that the more Trump runs, the more Biden wants to run because he's not going to let Trump outlast him. There's a certain pattern there. And Conrad Adenauer was chancellor of Germany at 93. So there are some occasional examples of people who have unusual longevity and stay in public life. What are you working on now? In terms of what I can talk about, I've been covering technology for the last year, the intersection of emerging technology and politics and policy, which has been a nice break from the more partisan, rancorous topics that I've been covering and embroiled in for the last eight years. So things like blockchain, cryptocurrency, what's now being called Web3, 
it's a change of pace. It's been good to learn about those things. That's great. Does that lead to a book, do you think? Oh, at some point, I would hope so. There is so much going on. The world is changing rapidly because of these technologies. Blockchain could really, it hasn't really disrupted the way that money and finance work yet, but it's been a disruptive force and it might go away. You know, there's been a crash in the markets for it, but a lot of private actors, state-backed actors are all looking at this and trying to figure out what to do with it. So I hope there's a book in it at some point. Great. Well, we look forward to it. and I hope you'll come back when the book comes out. Share some more of your insights and what you're learning, I think. This has been very, very helpful, and I want to thank you for joining me. I think your book is remarkable. I've known Biden for years, but there's a lot of stuff in your book that I had no idea about. It's a fascinating read, and I encourage all of our listeners to buy a copy of the Biden's Inside the First Family's 50-Year Rise to Power. So thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Speaker Gingrich. Hope to be back. Thank you to my guest, Ben Schreckinger. You can get a link to buy his book, The Bidens, Inside the First Family's 50-Year Rise to Power, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newtsworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howe, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.